0: title of the sermon this morning is Obedience is the Answer and we're going to look at the example of Naaman the leper and I want to look at some parallels that I see in this story, some things that we can learn from this story and see the parallels in modern day society and how modern day society looks at religion, uh, how it looks at God's word, God's plan what his design is for us and, and how we are to go about in being obedience to his word, to his will, and to obtain salvation. And I think there's a lot of parallels that we can find here if we really look into this. But to give you just a tad bit of background for Naaman, he was a, a commander in the army of Syria, evidently very good at his job. Uh, he was th- highly thought of by his master. But he had leprosy. And leprosy at that time was a horrible affliction. And it was something that was, uh, it, it, it would go on, it was torturing to, depending on the, the variation of the disease, but it was certainly not anything that anybody wanted. And there was a servant that served Naaman's wife, and she had been a captive come up from Israel, and she said, oh, if only my master, speaking of Naaman, were to go down to Israel and speak to the prophet there. He could be cured. Well, the king sends Naaman. He says, you go down there and see if you can get this thing cured. And he sends him a bunch of money and silver and gold and changes his clothes and things like that. And make a long story short, he gets to the prophet there, and the prophet Elisha doesn't even come out to see him. He sends word out. He said, just look, just tell him, just go dip in the Jordan seven times. Well, Naaman didn't like that. That was not fitting at what he thought was going to happen. And I want to pick up our story in 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 11 through 14. And this is where we're going to camp most of the morning. It says here in the scripture in 2 Kings 5 and verse 11, But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me. And stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the far part of the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Can I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, Wash and be clean. So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. Well, let's start out here with some things that one of the first parallels that I can see in this story with how people look at modern day Religion, if you want to call it that, how they view certain things about God's plan, God's word, whatever you want to say. One of the things that, that Naaman had, he had a preconceived notion. He went down and he already had in his mind, he said, well, I bet you this is how it's going to go. And I want to tell you something, That's we all do that a lot of times, don't we? We start kind of getting our mind going, you know, and I'll bet you this is going to happen. Or I'll bet it's going to go this way, you know, or something like that. I used to get so upset with my mom when she was doing that, and I do the same thing now. So, I mean, it's just part of our family. She laughs at me now, you know. But this is the way people are, and they have these preconceived opinions and these preconceived ideas when it comes to salvation and how to please God. And when we get right down to it, we need to throw all that out and understand the only thing we need to do, and this is going to be the theme through our whole study this morning, is to understand that obedience is the answer. For every spiritual problem we have, obedience is the answer. And if we will just remember that, everything's going to get a lot easier in our life. It says in 2 Kings 5 and verse 11 here, it says, But Naaman became furious, and he went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, I thought it was going to go this way. I thought this was how it was going to go. I bet you he's going to come out to me, and there's going to be this grand production. I bet you he puts on a big show, and he will stand and call on the name of his Lord, of the Lord is God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. I bet you that's how it's going to go. Didn't go that way, did it? Naaman was upset about that. You see, his idea didn't match God's plan. And that's the danger of mankind having preconceived opinions, ideas, and notions. They come up with these things, but that doesn't match God's plan. That doesn't match with what God's word tells us to do and how to live our lives. And many people have this problem today. They have an idea about how things should be and it doesn't go along with God's plan. And I want to tell you something. The scripture warns us about this and about how much of a problem this is for us. Look in Proverbs 3, verse 5 through 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledging him, and he shall direct your paths. Don't lean on your own understanding. Lean on the word of the Lord, because we can depend on that. But as we think about this idea of some preconceived opinions that people have about religion, about salvation, about uh, forgiveness of sin. Here's a couple of things that you'll hear sometimes out in the world today. You'll hear the idea that, well, as long as you're just basically good, everything's going to be fine. As long as you're basically good, everything's going to be okay when it comes to to, uh, eternity, the judgment day, all of that. I don't understand what basically good means. So I've never been able to have anybody to describe to me exactly where the line is on basically good. But I think what it means is when I say, if you're just basically good, as long as you don't do worse than what I'm doing, that's what people are saying. Maybe that's it, maybe that's not. I don't know. But I don't understand what basically good is. There's not a definition of that. Look at what the scripture says about when we think about this concept here. Mark 10 and verse 18 says, so Jesus came to him or excuse me, Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. How can we be basically good when there's no one that's good except God? You see, we, that's when we have these problems. We start trying to, to put on the stair step, you know, sins. Like this sin's worse than the other and this one's not as bad. And as long as you're basically good and you don't commit the real bad sins, you know. Jesus said no one is good, just God. That's it. Romans chapter 3 and verse 10 says, and as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have altogether become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Here's the thing we have to understand about when we come to this preconceived idea that as long as you're basically good, when you get right down to it, man is sinful before God. And that's just the way it is. Man is sinful before God. We are sinful before Him because we have transgressed His will and we have sin in our lives. Another preconceived idea that you'll hear is, well, all you have to do is believe. All you have to do is believe. Well, there's some truth to that. You do have to believe. That is important. But that's not all you have to do. And some have tried to put forth that idea. James chapter 2 and verse 19 has an interesting uh, interaction here. James 2 and 19 says, You believe that there is one God. He says, You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. I'm curious about this idea that if all you have to do is believe, what about these even the demons believe and tremble. Are they saved? <laughs> Is that going to cure them? But look, we get these ideas and we let them roll and we, we don't challenge these things and we don't go to the word to find out what the real word says and what the truth says. And these things can, can grow and they can take over people's lives and they can ruin people's lives if we're not careful. Belief is important, but that's not all you have to do. Look at Luke 4 and verse 41. And the demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And he rebuking them did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. In this case, here, not only did the demons believe, but they also confessed that he was the Son of God. Were they saved? to say no because they were still serving their father the devil you see we have these ideas and, and we got to be real careful about coming up with with these preconceived notions about salvation another one that people will have and, and they'll say when you start talking about the scripture and say have you ever sat down and studied about the gospel plan of salvation and you'll hear people say, well, I've already been saved. And they'll hearken back to uh, an emotional type of event or, or something like that. And they'll talk about how they've already been saved. And I want to tell you this right now. I, I, I have to be careful and not, you know, we, I don't want to get too sarcastic about anything. Because when somebody says, I've already been saved, I, I hope they are. I hope they are with all my heart. I hope everyone we meet are saved. But I think we owe it to ourselves to ask the question, am I? I think we should ask that question about ourselves when we think we are because Jesus talks about some that on that judgment day are thinking they were going to be saved but they're going to end up not be. Matthew 7 and verse 22. He says here, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Now, here's a case where Jesus is talking about some who are going to come to him on that final day. And they're going to say, look at everything we've done for you, Lord. Look at how we did all these things for you. Look at all these things that we did, prophesied your name, cast out demons, done many wonders. If you're going and read the next verse, what you're going to find out is he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. So there's a case there where some who thought they were saved, are going to get to judgment day and find out they weren't. And what a sad day that's going to be. I think it's healthy for us to honestly not doubt, but to question and go and look at the scripture and make sure that our salvation is in accordance with God's plan and not fall prey and allow preconceived ideas rule what we think on that. Another thing about Naaman here when we look at his account is that he argued with God's plan. And we see that a lot today in society. When we talk to uh, different ones and we go to look at the scripture and things like that, there'll be a lot of argument about uh, the scripture and, well, that's, that's not exactly how that should be. 2 Kings 5 and 12, it says here, Are not the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. See, he had a better idea. I don't like that plan. He'll make me go down and dip in that dirty Jordan River. Aren't these waters here? They're cleaner. They're better. Why can't I just go over there? Well, why can't I do it this way? Why can't I do it that way? Happens a lot today. And it has happened throughout time. And it will continue to happen, sadly enough, until the Lord comes back. But how many people do we meet or do we know that argue with God's plan? Are we arguing with God's plan today? Do I find myself arguing with God's plan sometimes? I hope not. And the arguments that people have when they argue with God's plan for salvation, they are feeble at best. You'll hear things like this. Well, everybody's got their own interpretation. You know, will you interpret it this way and I'll interpret it this way? Psalms 119 and verse 130 says, The entrance of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. It gives understanding to the simple. The thing about God's word is, it's not near as confusing as mankind has made it. Is God not capable of explaining himself? Here is this being, the creator of all things, the one who spoke things into existence from nothing. Is that creature, that being not able to explain himself to his creation in terms simple enough that they can understand it and get it? I believe he is. And I believe that he has done that. When God gives his instructions, does he say, well, feel free to interpret that now however you want? No. Brethren, God gives understanding. He does not give confusion. He doesn't give misunderstanding. Mankind brings in ideas that cause confusion and misunderstanding. Here's another thing you'll hear. Well, I I just follow my heart. I understand what the scripture says, but I just, you know, I'm going to follow my heart on that. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 3 says, this is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that one thing happens to all. Truly the hearts of the Son of Man are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. I want to tell you something. The, the heart within us is a very important part of who we are. We, we talk a lot about emotion and things like that. And God gave us emotions for a reason. I mean, it's not like They're not there. We can't deny the fact that they exist. We are emotional. Certain things make us this way, that way, whatever. But when it comes to thinking about what's inside of us and when we think about emotions and things like that, those are not good spiritual guides. The heart within us is not a good spiritual guide. The best spiritual guide you'll ever have is God's Word and being obedient to that. The heart is not reliable. On that another thing we see from Naaman is that he went away in anger he had a preconceived idea he didn't like what he was told he argued with the plan thought it should be a different way and so he turned and he went away in a rage Are not the abandoned the far part of the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Not only did he go away in anger, you know what else he went away with? He still had his leprosy. And that is the problem when people turn away from God's word today in anger. Because mankind should be seeking the cure for sin. We should be seeking the cure for our sin so that we can establish that relationship with God, that we can look forward to a heavenly home. And when people get mad about what God's word says and they turn away like Naaman did here and they go away in anger, they go away just as Naaman went away with his leprosy, they walk away with their sin still. And that's sad. And we can't afford to be that way. Anger is not something to be toyed with. Anger doesn't produce wise decisions. James chapter 1 and verse 19 says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Have you ever lost your temper and just blew up and said something you wished you hadn't later or done something you wished you hadn't, you don't even have to shake your head. I, we've, we're humans. that We've done that. Some people fight with anger a little more than others, but I think at all times people have, have battled that. Tell me when the last time that you, you got angry and lost your temper and you made a rash to shit decision, you went back and go, man, that was the right thing to do. We don't do that. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Remember that. And as Naaman was angry about the, the, uh, what the, the prophet's word had been brought out to him and how he didn't like that plan to cure his leprosy, he still had his leprosy. And while he went there seeking a cure... He couldn't find the cure, doing it his way. He wasn't cured yet. I think there's another thing that's a parallel in this story that maybe not as directly to Naaman, but I think there's another thing that's very, I find very uh, moving and joyous about this story is that someone else cared enough to confront him. So here he is, he's mad, he turns away, still got his problem. And look at what happens here. In verse 13 of 2 Kings 5, it says, And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, Wash and be clean. Here is someone that cared about Naaman enough that they came to him and said, Look, if he had put on this grand spectacle, And told you to do this great, you know, put on a show thing. Whatever you might have had in your mind. If he had asked you to do that, you'd have done that, right? Why won't you just go down and dip seven times like he told you to do? And how simple is that to think about? Someone cared enough about him to say, look, it's not that hard. (laughs) You're overcomplicating this. You're causing a problem for your own self. You're angry. It's not what you thought it was. Not what you wanted it to be. It's not going the way you thought. You've had all these ideas and everything. And you've still got your problem. Why won't you just obey the words of the prophet and be clean? And it's just that simple. And I believe this is the part part of the story where we fall in. I understand that there's a lot of people out there that maybe get angry if we do bring up the Bible sometimes or whatever. I know there's all kinds of different situations to where, you know, you you, you run across people and, and we look and we, you know, they, they accost us maybe verbally or something like that because we go to church or because we read the scripture or whatever. So be it. Still care enough to confront them about things in, in a gentle way. But find a way to get the conversation around to the answer for their problem. Because, see, the problem is still sin. Find a way. Care enough like these servants did for Naaman. Don't you think they might have been some danger about them going to to him? He's in a rage here. He's a powerful man. I mean, they could be setting themselves up for a little trouble. To say, well, why don't you do this? But they cared enough about this problem that he had. They knew the torture that he was having because of this. And they said, why don't you just go take care of it? We need to be the same way. And here's the other thing that we learn in this story. And that everyone else needs to know is when one obeys the word of God, he was saved from his problem of leprosy. And when we obey the word of God, we will be saved and cured of our problem of sin. 2 Kings 5 and 14 says so he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. It's just that simple. We overcomplicate it. We make it far more complicated than it is. All we need to do is obey. All we need to do is obey the word of God and our spiritual problems will be taken care of. Now, that doesn't mean everything's going to go great in this life. we still got things to deal with in this life. But it's not about this life. You see, it's about where we're going to spend eternity. It's about whether or not we're going to enjoy the glories of heaven for eternity. Romans 6 and verse 17 through 18 says, But God thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. See, here in this case here, he is writing and he says, it's, it, God thanked that although you were this way, you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. Now people say, well, they followed their heart. No, they didn't. What they did was, in their heart, they said, we need to obey what we've been delivered and not do it our way. We need to obey what the Word of God says. And that's where the heart says, my way's not working. I'm going to do it the Lord's way. And in verse 18, he talks about how they had been set free from sin. Isn't that what all mankind needs? To be set free from sin? Don't we need to be freed from sin? Well, obedience is going to be the answer to that problem. Hebrews 5 and verse 9 says, And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. You see, obedience is necessary to be freed from sin. Obedience is also necessary for salvation. Obedience is tied to all these things that we need. And our problem is sin. 1 Peter 1 and verse 22 says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, Through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren. Love one another fervently with a pure heart. Obedience is tied to purification of the soul. We have stained ourselves when we have sinned and broken God's commands. But to obey and to be cleansed of that. That goes along with the purifying of our souls. Making it clean again in God's sight. Obedience is necessary for that. Romans 2 and verse 8. It says, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. Now here in this case, what he is talking about here, he basically puts forth the idea that you can obey two things. You can either obey God's word or you cannot obey God's word. Because he goes along, he says there in the first part of this verse, there are those who are self-seeking, they do not obey the truth. Well, the other alternative is to obey the truth. But if you don't obey the truth, he says you are obeying unrighteousness. And what is to follow that and what comes along with that is the indignation and the wrath of God. But see, to obey the truth would save you from that. And obedience is necessary to escape God's punishment for sin. It's really simple when you get right down to it, isn't it? Mankind is the one who's messed everything up. We've messed it up. We overcomplicate it. We insert things that aren't there. We just need to go back to the truth of God's word and understand that if we will just obey to what he has given us, then our problems will be solved. And our problems are sin. That's the biggest problem that mankind has. It's not whether the rent's getting paid next month, although that can be hectic. But I want to tell you something. The biggest problem that you have and that I have is our sin and how it's going to keep us from enjoying the glories of heaven if we don't get it taken care of. And so the question this morning is, have you taken care of that?